With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, welcome to another edition of Technology Expresso Cafe Radio. We have with us Mr. Mike Williams, a senior executive from a major IT corporation. Mr. Williams, welcome. Technology Expresso. Thank you, David. Glad to be here. Thank you. So, uh, tell us a little about yourself and your uh, your BDPA affiliation. Sure. As you said, I'm a, a senior executive of IT for a Fortune 500 company. Uh, manage a large team, a large global team of uh, IT professionals. Uh, my relationship with uh, BDPA probably started um, somewhat, maybe uh, ten years ago. Um, but uh, in Jersey, but also got more and more active when I moved to Atlanta in 2006. Uh, took a break for a little while, but uh, got really engaged. And then, uh, you know, just recently, uh, maybe a few years ago, I wrote an article where I said, "Why I'm all in with BDPA." I think the organization uh, one has been around for a long time, done a lot for African Americans in the IT space, and continues to do so. If you look around, you know, today where we are at the BDPA Technology Conference. And then you see the, the, the audience and the, the, the teenagers that we're helping. At the end of the day, that's what it's all about. So that's what makes me continue to support BDPA and continue to, to want to see it grow and prosper. That's fantastic. Yes, as you mentioned, this is the 36th annual uh, conference and technology fair, and they've always uh, uh, done a good job of putting one together and showing their passion uh, for uh, STEM education and educating young people and uh, career professionals alike. So what is your, what's your favorite aspect of this conference this year? Uh, to, to me, it's all about the kids. Um, you know, obviously, there's a lot of uh, workshops. Uh, there's been some interesting workshops on a lot of different topics related to IT. You know, whether it's mobility, whether it's big data, you can go on and on. But at the end of the day, when you look at the real purpose of uh, the things, uh, why BDPA exists in terms of from the classroom to the boardroom, it's really about nurturing and building up those next set of leaders. And that's something I, too, have a, a passion for. So when I look at what BDPA is doing and what's really critical about this, this conference, when you line up the kids every year, they have a computer competition, you're looking at the next set of IT leaders, and every chapter across the country is building up those next set of IT leaders. So when you think about it, that's something all of us should be proud of because it's really all about them. So that's the one thing that I love about this conference. Yes, it's always been about the children. Now, uh, as far as uh, BDPA and your role with BDPA, how did you first hear about BDPA? I know you've had a long uh, relationship with BDPA, but how did you first hear about it? Actually, I first heard about BDPA when I lived in Jersey. Uh, I was a member of the Jersey chapter at the time and had to be around 96, 97. Uh, a friend of mine actually invited me to a meeting. Mm -hmm. uh, went to a meeting, joined, became a member, and then somehow they kind of the, the Jersey chapter kind of receded in some sense and recently was revived in uh, you know, some of the recent years. But that's how I got introduced to BDPA. 
And the fact is, I have a passion for leadership. I have a passion for technology. So that makes it a natural marriage for me and BDPA. So when I moved to Atlanta, um, I did a lot of community service in Jersey, moved to Atlanta in 2006. I took what I call a community service break for a couple of years where I didn't really get involved in any community activities. I was just really in the transition mode. But when I felt I wanted to actually get back out there, wanted to network, get to know some folks, and actually that's when I first met Teresa Williams. She was coming in as Mm -hmm. uh, the new president at that time in Atlanta. And then when you see in a room of folks that look just like you, have the same passion about technology, the same interests of also uh, collaborating and then also helping each other grow in the technology space. Uh, it just felt, it always felt at home. So that's uh, when I got introduced, I guess, yeah, I guess you could say it's, it was first love. And then when you see it grow over time and it continues to do the same thing, uh, that passion remains. Well, as you mentioned, thank you for that. As as you mentioned, um, you do have a passion for leadership, and I sat in on one of your conferences, one of your workshops the other day about building effective teams. That was very good and very well received. Um, and and in the past, you you participated in some uh, activities at the local level in the Atlanta area, such as the uh, Minority Executive Forum. Could you tell us about your role and your participation there? Yeah, I mean, first, uh, it's funny, every time someone mentions the Atlanta chapter, I always light up because it's, it's really a group of people I'm very proud of. And, you know, I always mess with Felicia. If you, if you talk to her, she thinks she's a rock star anyway. But, but the truth of the matter, she really is. If you really look at the leadership transition, uh, and most people that know me, I'm very candid. Uh, if you look at the, the two years prior to Felicia, Jacqueline, and team, actually uh, taken over the, the BDPA as, a, as a, a group of board members, it was kind of in, in a flux and it, it needed desperate leadership and uh, Teresa, Jacqueline and, and so many others, Derek and so many others stepped up and they set a direction, set a path and they had a, and, and what was key is they had a team. Uh, and if you look at the, the, the previous membership, the previous leadership, you had a lot of people, but it wasn't a team, and then also the leadership was missing. I think Felicia brought a lot of that, and then you had core team members. So when I always think about Atlanta, I think about what they've done and how they revived the the, the chapter uh, over the last couple of years. It is really something to be proud of. So when I see people want to do better, are trying to be better, and if they need my help and, and, and I have the wherewithal to help them, I'm willing to help. And you know what I did, what I helped them out with was really a small token. The, the work was really done by the folks. Uh, you know that team, that Atlanta team, and, and and I emphasize the word team because generally when you have nonprofit organizations, it's like one or two people that do most of the work. But when you looked at that team, there wasn't too many weak components among them, mm-hmm. and that was positive, and they worked well together. And you look at the success of the 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 the, the minority, black and minority executive forum. You look at the success of some of the other events they've done in terms of the networking events. Mm-hmm. You look at the success of the, the kids winning the, taking the, the trophy home, if you will, in terms of the computer competition, the awards, they, the, you know, the recognition they're getting from a chapter at a chapter level, uh, nationally at a chapter level. When you think about all those things, the work and the effort they put in are actually paying off. And one of the things that I love as a leader is when you see other people, whether you work with them, they report up to you, when you see them prosper and do well and get the recognition as a leader, that's the best thing you get. It's even better than you actually succeeding or actually receiving a recognition. Absolutely. The Atlanta chapter, which I'm a member of, has always been um, at, at the top of the game and at 
the past two annual events at the uh, conference, you've heard Atlanta. Either the kids are winning something or the or the adults and the uh, the team, the chapter, is getting some sort of recognition. So um, uh, they do what they do very well and continue to lead the organization as a whole on a national level. Yeah, and I'm, still, I'm in Milwaukee, and, and I'm in Milwaukee going to support them. I'm actually doing a presentation for them uh, uh, next week on the 12th. But... I'm a shout out Atlanta because that's that's where I'm going to be from. <laughs> well, I, I believe they're glad to have you and glad to be associated with your with your leadership. So you've written a book recently. Uh, you, you tell us a little bit about it. Okay, uh, not completed yet, but we're almost there. It should be out by the end of this month. Uh, the book is called The Advantage Factor. Uh, it's basically twelve lessons. It's the, called the, the Advantage Factor, 12 Lessons Every Aspiring Young Professional Should Know. And really what, it, what the book is really about is it's about things that I've learned the hard way through my career, through my young career, that I wish someone would have told me when I walked into corporate America. Mm -hmm. uh, things about identifying a mentor early on, things about networking, about building up others, uh, things about, you know, you don't necessarily have to be a, 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 a. You don't necessarily have to have a title to be a leader. Uh, it, things about focusing on the objective, not the noise. Where you have people on your team who, you know, they'll they'll feel they should have your job. And the truth of the matter is, when you get a group of folks together, you may have ten people. Out of those ten, maybe one or two people can actually do your job. Mm -hmm. But what you have to focus on is that you're the person that actually got the job. So you can't focus on the noise. You have to stay focused on your objective. And then, you know, things like I talked about in the, in, the, in the media when we talked about leadership and high-performing teams, you also got to understand your ideal situation. You know, who are your influencers, your distractors, your enablers, your achievers and leaders? And then how do you actually address each one of those dimensions? So the book really is a, is a way of just conveying uh, to the folks, I call them the AYP, the, the, the aspiring young professionals, in those years, the ages between 22 and 30, because what I believe is, during that age, when you become adult, you really start thinking about adults. You got adult and grown-up things like bills, like everyone else. Mm -hmm. Most of the kids are coming out of college, but during those eight years, it really defines who you're going to be personally, but also what you're going to do professionally, mm -hmm. because all those years you're gaining that experience, you're gain, gaining that exposure. So once you reach 30. In my view, there's not much that's going to change about who you are. You'll make adjustments, but the, those eight key years is going to be when you're actually going to define who you're going to be and, like I said, who you're going to be when you grow up. So that book is really targeted towards them, but, but really can be used for anyone, uh, any adult at any age. But the target is for those folks, and then it's for any profession. And it just talked about some, some things that are simplistic, but, but also some things that get overlooked as well. Mm -hmm. And you, uh, there was one thing that you mentioned, uh, 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 mentorship, that yeah. kind of resonated with me for a second. Um, I'm sure you have mentors and have mentored some other uh, individuals uh, throughout your career. What advice do you give people looking for a mentor and how to pick a mentor? Yeah, I definitely have mentors, but I, I would say I had two groups of two groups of folks because in the in the book I define something else. I define what I call knowledge leaders versus mentors. Mentors are people who've actually gained knowledge and experience over the time, and you may expire them, you may admire them, 
they may coach you, they may help you to the current job, may even help you get promoted to the next job. But what I said is you want to find what I call knowledge leaders. Now, the way I define that is they're people that actually failed and succeeded, that through the years have acquired the experience, the skills, and the keyword, the passion to teach others how to lead. Every mentor can't do that. Every mentor can coach. They can also work you through some challenges with your current job, but they don't have the passion, the capabilities, or in some cases, the skill set or experience to teach others how to lead. So I've had other people that can actually teach me how to lead, but also mentor me. Now, it doesn't mean that I think mentoring is dead. Mentor is a key component of being a knowledge leader. Mm -hmm. But you have to be, you have to do mentoring with the intent of teaching others to lead. So that's why I introduced the whole concept of knowledge leader, because I would say I've had two types. I've had the people that just were mentors, and then I had knowledge leaders because they were teaching me how to lead in addition to Mm-hmm. doing the mentoring aspect as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a key component, and it's so key. That's the very first chapter in the book. When you open the book, it's the very first chapter. Not only that, it's one of the longest chapters in the, in the book because it's so critical and important that you identify people that can help guide you, that have actually walked the walk, mm-hmm. talked the talk. They've had failures. I think um, Randall Pickett had it spot on today. You fail fast. There's not one person, champion, uh, CEO, uh, you name it, chairman, that hasn't failed in something. Mm-hmm. And I think he also had it uh, uh, hit the, hell, the, net on the, uh, the nail on the head as well when he mentioned basically you, you, when you fail, you learn the most. Because mm-hmm. if you constantly succeed or you're constantly winning, you have no fear because you haven't experienced failure. Absolutely. So Absolutely. You, there's always going to be an element of surprise. When you fail, there's no element of surprise. You know how to get back up. You know how to kind of work through the challenges and dust yourself off and just keep it going. So mentoring plays a, a huge part in that. Mm-hmm. So that's why it is. It, it really is the, the, the first chapter. And then just why on the other side of that is, you know, when you're mentoring, it has to be intent to lead. The last chapter in the book is you don't have to be a title to be a leader. And it talks about what are the things that I think a leader does. And I think we cover some of that in our workshop uh, on Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, and those things are in the book as well, and the components that make up a t- make up a team. All those things are critical to building high-performing teams, but it all starts from an individual basis and a team basis with a good mentor, a good knowledge leader. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, building effective teams is, is, is key in the IT industry. Uh, another thing that I picked out of your session uh, the other day, um, and and I agree with you about failure. Failure is experience, and you learn more from your failures than you do your successes. I believe, yeah. uh, and but there's a there's a difference, and you mentioned the correlation between um, experience and exposure. Uh, that was something that resonated with me as uh, as well. Could you differentiate the, the two for me? Yeah, and, and I think you alluded to it because if you think about it, when you fail, you've had, you've had exposure to mm-hmm. failure, right? If you've always succeeded, you haven't had exposure to failure. So if you haven't had the exposure, how do you handle it, right? So the difference between the two, we in the example I use, if you have two people worked on a job for 10 years, sit side by side, worked in the same department, practically did the same job for 10 years, right? But one guy 
if you look at the experience, they all have the same experience. They've both been working on a job for 10 years. Mm -hmm. But if one guy in those 10 years happened to go off and work in the MAA, uh, M&A or another uh, he worked in another component of the he was working another project yes and he sat next to the same guy for those 10 years who has the most experience the guy that had the additional exposure because the one guy constantly had the same role all those years the other guy had the same role but also he stepped outside of that comfort zone and had exposure to other things which basically means he gained more experience right. all uh, during that time as well so it's always a combination of both. You got to have the experience and the exposure. Absolutely, absolutely. So, I know that's just the tip of the iceberg of the book, and it sounds very powerful. And there was another um, uh, methodology you had in your in your book, and I believe it was the ideal, mm -hmm. or uh, or or was it was there an L on the end, or was it idea? No, it, it was it was ideal. So we when you, the ideal situation is really about knowing. When you work in a team aspect, or even if you, you grow to be a manager or director, and you take over teams, and even as an individual, when you go to a new team, one of the things uh, that I've found over my career is that I, a group of people always fit into five categories. And I call it the ideal situation. And what that means is you have a group of folks that are influencers, the distractors, the enablers, the achievers, and the leaders. Now, the influencers are like the old commercial, the EF Hutton. When they talk and they chatter, people are listening. So they can be a positive or a negative for you. If they're in a positive sense, if they're a person that the team looks to mm -hmm. and they kind of hinge on every word they say, that helps you because you can actually work with them to kind of get your message across, especially if you're new. So that's the person you want to gravitate to. But on the negative side, that influencer can be a person that's always got uh, long stories to tell. Mm -hmm is he, he looks at or she looks at rumors for sport where those those people can then become your next thing, distractors. Distractors are just people you gotta handle swiftly because no matter what you do, no matter what the team does, it's never gonna be good enough. No matter what the company does, never gonna be good enough. When you're trying to accomplish something, you can't have a team with distractors. So you gotta sit down, talk to them, try to get them on board. But within 30, 45 days, you gotta say, hey look, you're not on board, you either they got to go or you got to do what I call quarantine. You got to quarantine them. Put them in a position where they can't do anything. can't do anything. Meaning that they got a they're a single contributor. They got a very light workload because that way they can't hurt you and then people will move away from them because if they only if they're only a single contributor, there's only much they can do. There's no project you have to interact with this person on. So that's the way to do it when you got to wait for all this paperwork. But it's hard to build a team when you got distractors. Because as a leader, that's going to be your distraction while you're trying to execute on objectives. Mm -hmm. The next set is enablers. Enablers are just like, you know, we always talk about you can't have too many chiefs, but you got to have a lot of Indians. The, well, the enablers are the Indians. The enablers are the, the, the worker bees. You know, they're, they're people that want to come into work, do their nine to five, go home, get their check, and they're done. They're willing to always help you out. And then if you're a person looking to get promoted to that next level, they're not your competition, but they're the people that are willing to help you because they're not your competition. But your but the next group, the achievers are. The achievers are your go-to people. Mm -hmm. They're the people, if you want something done, you want it done on time, want it done right, those are the people you go to. But if you're a new employee, and, and something I talk about in the book, those are your that's going to be your competition. 
So some of them will help you if you're new to the group, but some of them won't because they also feel that you're, that you're their competition. Absolutely. So you have to be conscious of the dynamics of the team. And then the last one is the leaders. We talked about it before. You don't necessarily have to be in a leadership role to be a leader. The leader within a group is just the people that everyone else looks upon for, for leadership. When you have a leader or a manager or a director, and the teams look at the group of folks, and when they want something done or said, uh, said to the director, they say, hey, Mike, why don't you go talk to, to David and tell them this? Because they look at you as a leader because they know you would actually go and step up, and your voice counts for the whole team. Mm -hmm. So they're going to tell you. They're not going to go to the director and tell them. They're going to be like, Mike, why don't you go talk to the director? And then also, every time you ask a question about let's take a vote or let's do this, look at who raised their hand first and then look at who also looks at them raising their hand because they're following that person. They've already demonstrated or uh, shown examples that, hey, this is the person we look up to. Mm -hmm. This is the person we consider a leader. That's the person you want to identify and that's the person you want to work with, especially if you're trying to get the team on one set of goal, uh, same set of objectives. Mm -hmm. That's the person you want to gravitate to, especially if you're new to the group or if you're new to a group in terms of just a team member, or if you're new to a group in terms of you're just managing the group, that's the person you want to identify. Mm -hmm. So I always feel you always have that ideal situation no matter what. But you turn those letters around, just like a Scrabble uh, board, mm -hmm. you take those same letters, as a leader, what you have to say is, I lead. You have to lead. And then there's a couple other things, I don't talk too much about the, the, the book, but there's a couple other things there uh, you know, that talks about leadership and then what the word lead means as well. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking of leadership, if we could expand on that a little bit. Um, and, and this IT career field is very, extremely competitive. And lots of times the smarter you are, you, you move up. And you move into, you may move into a leadership and executive ex, uh, positions without having that experience. How how do how do most of those people fare when they're in that type of role, new to the role, and haven't had that experience or that knowledge of leading people? Well, it's it's interesting. Um, I look at it this way. There, there's something in the book uh, that I wrote, um, and it talks about yours. Because we always talk about you got to have objectives. They have to be smart. So everyone understands the acronyms. But I talk about yours. You have to own, right, and understand your responsibility to your success. That's yours. You own and understand you're responsible for your success. That's yours. You have to make it yours. And and when you look at that, when you look at that in terms of the roles, any role you get when you don't have the skill sets, you have to evaluate yourself and assess your capabilities. You have to determine, hey, you know what? I need to I need to learn business skills. Mm -hmm. The development is yours. You can't sit around and say, well, hey, I, I need you to let me go to this class. If they're not letting you do it, you got to find a way to pay for it yourself or do it yourself. Whether it's online, Skillsoft, whether it's online, the internet has so much information. It's always hard and difficult for me when people say, "Well, I can't get that. that I can't get that information." But you have to know that your objectives, your success, what you want to do, it's all on you. Mm -hmm. 
you, there's people, you can identify people to help you. But the reality is when you move to certain roles, like, and especially when you move up, the business skills you got to understand better, how you communicate to executives in terms of you got to be more concise. You can't talk uh, technology jargon. In, in some companies, a lot of execs actually understand technology jargon. I, I fortunately work for one where the COO down, everyone understands technology. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard to snow them on anything. But in a lot of other circles, a lot of executives, not a lot of senior managers don't get that much into the weeds. Mm -hmm. So you got to be able to concisely convey information to them and put it in business terms. You know, a good example. I want to go buy a virtual server because it's just going to allow me to virtualize everything and make my job easier. Mm -hmm. That's great when you talk to a room of technology folks. When you talk to a group of executives, I want to buy this tech, this virtual server for X amount of dollars because on a yearly basis it's going to reduce our cost to, to X and Y and then on top of that it, we can reduce the number of people which is also a cost reduction that are actually working on it day to day. Mm -hmm. So then all that adds up to dollars so the X factor is the total savings that I'm going to get by introducing this technology or spending this capital, the total savings I'm going to get is X. Mm -hmm. That's how you talk to executives. Because that would make sense. And a lot of times we just don't understand that language. Mm -hmm. uh, and that seems to be a challenge of uh, uh, lots of times at the executive level. Technology is, 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 is available for everyone. And, and anyone can Google or dig a little and find out about a lot of things. And at the executive level, there are times where the executive wants to get in the weeds. And, and you have to almost pull them out of the weeds. How do you do that effectively? Well, at some in some cases you can't because if that's where they are and that's and that's where they've actually grew up. I mean, if they're technical, they're technical, and sometimes they can't help themselves. So if they're your COL or they're their CIO, your boss, if they're in it, you just have to adjust. You have to adapt because you got to be ready to be and know that's the questions they're going to ask. So you you got to adapt to. I would say you got to adapt to. Your, your management and leadership. If they're always in the weeds, then you can always always prepare yourself and say, I gotta ask, I gotta find the answer to the question before they get asked. I mean, that's, that's the only way you can do it because it's not up to them to adjust, you know, what they do, it's really up to you to, to adapt to them. Fantastic, fantastic. So, so what's next for Mike Williams, IT executive? I know, you, I know you enjoy what you do, but what's your passion? What do you see yourself doing in, say, five years? Um, five years? Um, preparing for retirement. <laughs> uh, no, really. I mean, my goal is uh, to, to kind of sit down at 55 and really evaluate. Quite frankly, the one thing I want to do, and I've said this a long time, uh, would love to run a nonprofit full-time uh, when I retire. Um, would uh, love to do some kind of leadership training. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look at you know what I do and, and, and see some of the things I do, you can pretty much clearly see ultimately if I stop working tomorrow, what I would be doing when I retire, mm -hmm. uh, because you know that passion is always going to be there and it and it doesn't change. Got a passion for community service. Got a passion for uh, helping other folks grow and and, and, and develop. Uh, and always a passion to give it back. So it's always going to be a combination of those loves that uh, I'm going to do. And when I retire, that's just, that's pretty much what I'm going to do. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, um, 
you know, your input is always respected around BDPA nationally. So uh, if you do ever get the opportunity to run a nonprofit, so I hope it's BDPA. And, uh, <laughs> and I think we got a, a lot of support uh, uh, for you here in the uh, studio audience. So thank you for your time. Mike Williams, IT executive. Thank you, sir. Hey, thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here. really appreciate it, David. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.